following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. As we begin to wind down our series in this fun topic called Speaking of God, I wanted to show you something that's something we haven't had a chance to do yet. I want to show you some popular imagery of God. We've talked about how you talk about God. So here's some pictures of, of how we understand God or know God. The first one is very famous. Anybody know where this comes from? The Sistine Chapel. This is the angry God in the Sistine Chapel, right? There's the one with he's, where he's creating and he seems sort of serene. This is the one where I, I think this is where he's casting them out of the garden, right? So this is a very popular image of God, the angry white guy, right? Um, here's another image of God. Does anybody know what this one is? This is Zeus, right? No, not, not our God. Um, and Aaron uh, has inside information about this particular image of, of Zeus, which I just found through Google image search. Um, what did you say this was, Aaron? It's the box art for a video game. <laughs> so, um, Zeus, uh, up, in, up on Mount Olympus probably, right, with a lightning bolt in his hand, ready to smite somebody or somebody's. And here's something I want to show you. When you put these two images side by side, it's a little bit disconcerting how close they are to each other. Now, which one is feeding into the other at this point is, you know, maybe up for, for conversation. Um, but sort of disturbingly similar, that, that the God of the Bible that we, that we know and worship looks so much like the angry uh, lightning bolt shooting mythological Zeus. It is what it is. And for something a little bit lighter, here's another uh, one of my favorite images of God, um, God at his computer. Uh, <laughs> This is from The Far Side, which is a great, uh, great comic strip. He's speaking of smiting, right? He's about to press the button that drops the piano on that poor sap's head. <laughs> um, and if you're listening to this on podcast and want to see that, you can just Google search for God at his computer. It'd probably, probably be the only image that comes up, I, I should think. But um, the point is that these images actually do matter to us in some ways. Um, as silly as this one is and is kind of maybe distant as the others are, um, the pictures that we have in our brain from pop culture or um, historic art and so forth actually do kind of soak into our beings and they, they do affect the way we understand God. And the same, of course, is true for, for the words that we use to describe God. And that's what this series has been all about. Speaking of God, um, what with what metaphors and analogies and words do the authors of the Bible speak about God? And how does that affect us as followers of God? And today we come to probably the most personalized topic in this series, which is speaking of God as a parent. Now, the first week we started, talking out, started out by talking about God as a natural object, and we had things like uh, wind and consuming fire and rock and so forth. And then last week we talked about God as a person but not a parent, so shepherd and king. And I think we also talked about God as a potter, the artist God. And so we've moved from the least personal to today the most personalized uh, ways of talking about God, which is God as a parent. And 
We'll start out with God as, as Father. Um, we take God the Father as a phrase for granted. It's so popular, um, something that's used so commonly that it just sort of rolls off the tongue, God the Father. And one of my goals today is to, to kind of put the brakes on that, uh, that phrase, that understanding of God as Father, maybe put the car in reverse a little bit, back up and, and figure out where this language comes from and what it means and what it doesn't mean and, and that kind of thing. So we can start with, as Christians, we could start with the creed. We recited the creed earlier. How does the creed begin? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, right? And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, right? Um, so with, with uh, both of those things, the I believe in Jesus Christ is sort of assumed, right? So in both of those statements, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. Those are the two first statements of the most basic statement of faith that Christians share and say together. And so we know God, through the, in the creed at least, as Father because He is the Father of Jesus. By the way, what is the next um, uh, clause in the creed that begins with, I believe in? The Holy Spirit, right. So there's, there's a, between those two I believes, there's a big, long, not that long when you think about how long some of the other creeds got, but it's a long section about Jesus, you know, who he was and what he did and, and what happened to him and what that means, right. And then it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So when you look at the structure of the creed with those, those three I believes, the second one being implied, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus the Son, I believe in Holy Spirit, what is the creed trying to do in that, in that structure? Well, it's trying to, to articulate and teach one of the central Christian doctrines, which is understanding God as triune. So the creed teaches the Trinity. It doesn't just teach God as Father. It teaches God as, as Father as one person of the Godhead. Right? And, and the Trinity is a very complicated theological subject, which we don't even have close to enough time to, to talk about in depth today. But I want to put that in front of you, that, that the creed's statement... Uh, and presentation of God as Father is, is not just disconnected. It's, it's in that Trinitarian structure. Right. But speaking of God as Father predates the Christian belief completely. It predates the, the understanding that we have of the Trinity. At least it predates the way it's, the Trinity is articulated. We also understand God as the metaphorical Father of the Israelites, God as the father of the Jewish people. And that's a very important understanding of God. So God is described as father throughout the Old Testament. Before there was a such thing as Christians. Before anybody really kind of fully got into this Trinitarian explanation. Now, don't, don't hear me saying that we invented the Trinity when, when Jesus came. You can see Trinitarian kind of hints and whispers and emanations all throughout Scripture. Old Testament and New um, but generally, in the Old Testament, God as Father is not the same thing as God the Father of Jesus as we understand him Trinitarianly, <laughs> right? I just made the word Trinity into an adverb. I don't know how I did that. So we know God as the Father of the poor. It's a beautiful biblical image. One of the most beautiful 
metaphors in Scripture for the work of Jesus is that through the work of Jesus, we are adopted heirs, H-E-I-R-S, as in going to receive an inheritance, adopted heirs of the Father. Talk about a great future topic. I wrote that down in my future series ideas thing when I was doing this, like the concept of being adopted into the family of God is really a beautiful idea, especially for anybody who has any kind of adoption close to you in your family, whether you were or you did or you have some, you know, a relative who did or a close friend who did. That's a very profound idea that we would be adopted into the family of God, by, adopted by the Father. So by and large, this idea of God as Father in Scripture is, is a beautiful, wonderful thing. But there are a few problems with thinking only of God as Father, or thinking of God only as Father, or with overemphasizing that idea to the detriment of some other ideas. Let me tell you what I think some of these problems are. The first is that it can cause us to assign gender to a being who is actually spirit. Right? So God is not male. Jesus, who was God, was male. But that is due to this just delicious theological phrase, the scandal of particularity. Have you heard me say this phrase before? I love this phrase. The scandal of particularity speaks to the incarnation of Jesus, the becoming human of God, that had to happen at a particular place and time and culture and geographical location. By definition, if God is going to become a person for a while, that has to happen in a particular location and you know, one of the particularities is that Jesus was a man. That's not the same thing as saying God is male. Does, do you understand that distinction? God is not male. God is spirit. So, and, and for what it's worth, speaking of the Trinity again, a lot of times the Holy Spirit is referred to in very feminine terminology. In fact, the Hebrew word for spirit is a feminine noun. The Greek word for spirit is, is neuter. Um, so the spirit is not really male in any sense. I mean, it's not even, he's not even described that way. I just said he, because that's kind of the way we talk about the Holy Spirit. But I think it would be very fair to talk about the Holy Spirit as, as she, if, as long as you're not in a place where they're going to you know, fire you or run you out on a rail, which I don't think this is, but we'll see. Um, I want to read to you a quotation, and it'll be on the screen for those who like to follow along. As we're reading this, before we get to the last slide where it tells what it comes from, see if you can guess what what kind of church this comes from. And if you, if you follow our Facebook feed and have already seen this, no cheating, right? All right, here's, here's what this, this church body says. By calling God Father, the language of faith indicates two main things, that God is the first origin of everything and transcendent authority, and that He is at the same time goodness and loving care for all His children. God's parental tenderness can also be expressed by the image of motherhood, which examines God's imminence, the intimacy between creator and creature. The language of faith thus draws on the human experience of parents who are, in a way, the first representatives of God for man. But this experience also tells us that human parents are fallible and can disfigure the face of fatherhood and motherhood. We ought, therefore, to recall that God transcends the human distinction between the sexes. He is neither man nor woman. He is God." He also transcends human fatherhood and motherhood, although he is their origin and standard. And here's where you get the, uh, the answer to your question. No one is father as God is father. How many of you thought that was from some crazy liberal church as I was reading it? 
It's the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. And and I agree with with every word. It's interesting that even the the limits of the English language are such that even as we talk about the fact that God is neither man nor woman, we have to say he is neither man nor woman. I was trying to explain this to my son, my uh, um, almost nine-year-old son this week, because I was telling him what I was preaching about. And I was trying to explain to him how God isn't actually male. He's not a, a man or a boy. He's a, he's a spirit. And then I realized I'm saying he, he, he <laughs> is not a man, man, man. And so it's just a complicated thing that happens with language. So I think one of the risks of overemphasizing God as father only is that we assign gender to a being who is spirit. And, and that can remove our openness to God's feminine characteristics. Now, I'm going to make a couple of somewhat broad generalizations, and I hope you'll forgive me for that. Um, of course, there are not any ironclad, always-on characteristics that men always have and women never have, and the, uh, the opposite is also untrue, that, that women have characteristics that men never have and so forth. But it's a, you know what I'm saying, right? The generalization is that, that men tend to have certain characteristics and women tend to have certain different characteristics. And the... The words of the creation story, on, literally on the first page of your Bible, say that God created humankind in his image, male and female. So both men and women were created in the image of God, and we talk a lot about what that means. I'm not going to go down that road right now, but except to say that both women and men reflect, in some way, the characteristics of the creator, of God. And that's, that is a theological truth. That is a biblical statement. Um, and and you can, it's, it can sometimes be lost because we overemphasize God only as Father. Um, on a very important practical note, God as Father can be, can be deeply problematic for people who have a negative relationship with their own Father. And I'm, I certainly wouldn't ask you to show hands, but if I did, I bet a significant number of you would, would say, yes, I have a very difficult relationship with my father. Some of you have never met your father. I have a, I have a friend in Boston who, you know, who basically considers his father a sperm donor. Um, and that's very, very, very painful for him. And, and a lot of you have had painful experiences with your earthly fathers. And so, in that sense, trying to understand God through that prism of your father, whatever he may have been, that's very difficult. Now, of course, it's also true. We're going to talk about God as a, as a mother in a minute. That's, that can also be true. But I, th- I, I think, again, a generalization, the first one is more likely to be the case. And then... Lastly, I think one of the risks of overemphasizing God only as Father is that it assumes, perhaps, a separate secondary entity of, uh, uh, that is the mother, right? And you, you kind of think, what, ha- what happened to God the mother? Did they, did they get divorced? Did she move away or is it Mary? I, what? Here's the thing. I think that it is appropriate and helpful to think of God as a mother, 
but not as a separate entity from the Father, rather as a, another aspect of God's nature and character. And because this is so underemphasized, I think, in our churches, I'm going to read a bunch of Scripture passages this morning that, that speak to this idea. Um, and I, I wonder how many of them you will ever have heard read or preached on in the church, even in our church, which is the awesomest one, right? And it's not because I want to push us towards some agenda. I don't have, you know, this kind of goddess agenda thing, right? I don't have the bumper sticker that says, God is coming back and she's pissed on my car, right? I often wonder, what do people get angrier about when they see that bumper sticker? Is it the word pissed or is it that they said God is she? (laughs) Probably both, I don't know. Um, But in fact, what I want to do is the opposite of, of push us towards an imbalance, an inappropriate imbalance. What I want to do is maybe swing us back toward a a more appropriate balance. Um, You know, because our picture can be imbalanced. Sometimes we have that angry white guy from the Sistine Chapel. That's all we think of when we we think of God. So, I'm going to read these scripture passages quickly. They're not on the screen. You don't need to look them up. Just listen to this beautiful, rich language that comes from the Bible um, describing God in maternal language. First of all, there's, there's four striking images in the book of Isaiah. And if, you, if you'd like to look these up, I will give you the references at least. Isaiah 42, 14. This is God saying, For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. The context here is interesting. God is threatening to destroy the unfaithful nation of Israel with the power and force of the screams a woman gives when she's in labor. And friends, you do not want to mess with that force. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> My hands still hurt from, <laughs> from where Tracy was holding them when Teddy was born. Um, there is, there is no humbler husband than the just-seen-his-wife-give-birth husband. <laughs> it lasts about 20 minutes. And they're like, can you get me something to drink? Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with us. but uh. Isaiah 46.3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb. This particular section has a really fascinating interplay of of uh, imagery between the uh, the way that the idols of the that the that the people are wor- worshiping along with the pagan nations, these idols need to be carried. God is saying, "I actually carried you, Israel, and now you're carrying these idols around." But He's not just like I put you on my shoulder. He's like I carried you in my womb. And I said he again, but men don't have wombs, do they? Except that one movie. With Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't, I don't know why that just came to mind, but hopefully that'll never happen again. Isaiah forty nine fourteen. Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. What a tender, beautiful image. Sixty six thirteen. 
As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And there, there isn't any comfort that's quite like the comfort of a mother, is there? Ask my sons, they will tell you. When they are sobbing with a skinned knee or whatever, and I say, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. I want mommy. <laughs> right? Mommy's at work. Oh, <laughs> Daddy's got to comfort me. It's not the same thing. That's why it's such a beautiful thing that, that the scriptures contain this kind of imagery, right? All right, so those are the four that, are, that I'm sharing from Isaiah. Here's another one from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30, 32, 18. Uh, again, kind of um, speaking out against the unfaithfulness of Israel. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. This is the divine version of that great maternal threat. I brought you into this world and I can take you back out again. (laughs) Okay, so uh, Hosea chapter 11. The book of Hosea is a wild and crazy ride. If you've never read the prophet Hosea, some crazy stuff in there. Um, Here's one. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. Now, admittedly, this is a generic parent kind of thing, but that, that particular kind of language is very maternal, I would, I would argue. I think you'd probably agree. Also, in the context of this thing where they're kind of speaking against fertility cults and, and you know, goddess worship, this is kind of uh, the prophet turning that stuff on its head. Uh, here's a great one from the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the, the, speaking of the spiritual nourishment of the Lord as mother's milk. Wow. I've never heard a sermon on that. Have you ever heard, anybody ever heard a sermon on that? I didn't think so. And then there's a few that are really kind of fun where, where the Bible or the, the authors in the Bible describe God as a mother animal. It's this beautiful passage in Deuteronomy 32, a few verses before the one I just read to you a minute ago. Uh, God as a mother eagle. And uh, the mother eagles are larger than the father eagles. And when it's time for the baby eagles to leave the nest, the mother eagle bears them up on her wings. Did you know this? And flies out and then just like goes... Right? And then they have to fly unless they can't and then she catches them. Um, Deuteronomy 32 speaks about God as a mother eagle who bears the baby birds up out of the nest on her wings. There's a beautiful moment in the Gospels where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Do you remember this from when we were in the season of, of Lent? And he, he stands at the edge of the city and he weeps for the, the people of Jerusalem. He laments that the, that the people would not let them do what he wished to do, which was to gather them up like a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings. Pretty imagery. And then one of my favorites, another, another image from the prophet Hosea. Hosea 13, um, once again, speaking against the unfaithfulness of Israel, God threatens to fall upon the people like a bear robbed of her cubs. 
If you've ever been a, a person who does like trail hiking, you know this is like rule number one. If you see a bear, you better hope that you're not between her and the cubs. They don't really tell you what to do except die. Um, <laughs> but they, you, that's one thing you know. Like you don't want to be between the mother bear and her cubs, right? Otherwise, uh, the Bible says that the mother bear will tear open the covering of your heart. <laughs> that's, that's God's anger against the unfaithfulness of his people, like a mother bear robbed of her cubs. All right. So, th- thanks for bearing with me. That was a really quick run through just some of the ways that the Bible, in the Bible, that God is described as a mother. And again, this is not to diminish the importance of understanding God as a father, which of course is also consistent with the teaching of Scripture. But it's to provide some balance and maybe recover the other half of that uh, God as a parent concept. But before I close, I want, to say, I want to say one thing that I think is very important, not just for today's topic, God as a parent, as a father and as a mother, but really for this whole series about the Bible's metaphors for God. What I want to say is this, if any of these metaphors, whether it's your difficulty with fatherhood or whether it's God as a consuming fire from week one, God as a warrior, which we just hinted at last week, any of these metaphors evoke in you a painful um, reaction or an understanding of God that you find damaging and harmful, it's important to remember this. Really, this is the thing that I want you to hear most of all from this whole series is that the final and best way we understand God is in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, God as a person is no longer a metaphor. It's actually God is a literal person. One of my favorite um, pastors and writers and teachers is, is Greg Boyd, and he says this beautiful thing that I want to read to you, and again, it will be on the screen. We must begin and end all our reflections on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one and only Word of God, the image of God, and the perfect expression of God's essence. He supersedes all previous revelations and can be superseded by none. He is the definitive revelation of God. So if you, if you have come by some understanding of, of God, whether through teaching that you've received somewhere, including from me, or from your family of origin, or from pop culture, or historic art, or anything that you have received as an understanding of God that is not consistent with the person of Jesus surrendering his life willingly and submissively for the salvation of humankind, if you have any picture of God that conflicts with that picture of God, it is by definition a distortion. And you can let go of it. If you struggle with an image of God that's presented in the Scriptures somewhere because it's inconsistent with what you see in Jesus, you and I and all of us need to do the work together to try to reconcile those ideas, to see the difficult one through the Jesus one because that is the priority that we have. That is who we are. He is the image of the invisible God.
this idea is the most important idea, I think, that I could give you in this whole series. And it also transitions us to next week. Um, I will be away next week, but you should absolutely not miss next week, if at all possible. You must be here to hear uh, Reverend Judy Davis preach a capstone message on this series. She's going to be talking about um, a particular aspect of of the Incarnation. Uh, It's going to transition us from this series and kind of launch us into some of the other topics we'll be looking at later in the year. Um, She is especially um, acutely able to speak about the concept of racial reconciliation. And uh, in her mind and in mine, that idea flows right out of the incarnation of Jesus. And if that statement doesn't make sense to you, I think you really ought to be here next week to hear what she says. Um, I can't wait to listen to the podcast of her message next week when I'm, when I'm away. Um, because really, the incarnation is it, man. That is it. <laughs> Jesus is the way we know God best. And finally. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and I think we also maybe ought to say Heavenly Mother, God our parent, we come to you uh, with all sorts of, of baggage about these concepts. Difficulty knowing you because we had a challenge with our own fathers. Difficulty knowing you as mother because we associate that with paganism. Difficulty understanding so much that is presented in the Bible. Help us always to know you best and first through Jesus. To know you best and last through Jesus. To see all these other metaphors and images and analogies through the cross of Christ. It's in Him that we place all of our trust. It's Him whom we follow. And it's by His sacrifice and His blood that we trust we are made righteous before You. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, We know God best through Jesus, and I think one of the best ways we know Jesus is through the table. So our communion table is open now. We're going to sing a couple more songs together. Um, But you can come and respond to this. If you want to know God through Jesus, this is the place to be. You don't have to be a member. It's an open table. Come and receive His body represented in the, the, the bread. Break off a piece of that. Dip it in the wine or the juice, knowing and remembering His blood which was shed for your sins and mine. Receive those um, common earthly elements into your body as spiritual food. Do it as an act of community and communion with each other and other Christians. And if you'd like to have prayer uh, right now, you can, you can come up in, into the corner there and our members of our prayer team will be with you as well. Let's continue to worship him together this morning. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.